Welcome to the Legacy House Podcast. Our mission as a church is to equip people to know God, live free, and find purpose. We express the mission of our church through adoration, biblical teaching, creativity, and discipleship. We have prepared this message for you, and we know God is going to use it to minister to you wherever you are and in whatever situation you're going through. We've been in the series the last two weeks called The House That God Builds. And, uh, and really for us, we're kind of diving into this. And I'm, I'm super pumped about Sunday nights because one of the things that I love the most about youth ministry um, was the opportunity to really get personal. Um, and not personal in a way that makes you uncomfortable, like, so let's talk about your issues. Um, but personal in a way that, like, we can really just take a moment and dive into the Word. Like, we can really hear what it is that the Word is trying to speak and to say to us. And the first week, we really talked about, uh, out of Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, and how they were all unified, and really what had happened because of their, their unity seemed like a good thing. You read it, and you look at the story, and it's like, man, this seems like a great idea. Uh, Even the Lord says, he comes down, looks at their city, and says, man, there is nothing they would not be able to accomplish because they're so unified. But then he comes back down and says, but we need to confuse their language. We need to to scramble this all up because if they stay where they are, they'll never accomplish what I actually called them to. What happened was they had allowed trauma to define their tribe. They had allowed trauma to determine who and what they were going to be and who and what they were going to do. Uh, Literally the entire known human race found a plane that they could all fit in and they decided to build this city. And they began to erect this tower that the Bible refers to as Babel and we all understand that. They were were trying to create this tower that they could reach God and protect themselves from any more trauma. So they built this city and they built this wall and it was all a great thing uh, in, in theory. But what was overlooked in the whole thing was the command that Jesus gave them or the Lord gave them in Genesis chapter 9 verse 1 where he said I've blessed you and you need to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth well you can't fill the earth when you're all stuck in one location so here this group of people were stuck in one location and today we talked a little bit and we talked about the idea of ownership and uh, and we gave out keys to everyone about really owning the vision of God uh, owning the thing that God has placed inside of your heart. And today we looked out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we really begin to dive into some things that were great. But we talked about how there's some things that God has called some of us to, and there's some things that God has called all of us to. Um, there's things that, that are, are for just some of us. Uh, the, the, the uniqueness of you, uh, it is for you. But then there's also things in his word that he said, he said that we were all uh, God's workers, says that we were all God's field, and that we were all God's building. Meaning that there's some, some very interesting responsibilities that we had. So we kind of asked ourselves some questions this morning. We said, what are we cultivating in our life? Like, what, is the, what are, what are we, we working towards? What is being... Um, produced from the fruit of who we are. Then we kind of went a little bit further beyond that. And as we asked ourselves, what are we cultivating? We, out, we really then begin to ask ourselves, what is our condition? What is the condition of your life? When, when the Bible refers to fields, it often really is, is not just talking about the location, but it's talking specifically about the soil. And the soil of the field represents the soil of our own hearts and lives. So what is the condition of our heart? What is the condition of of your heart and and, and of my heart? And then really kind of beyond that, we wrapped up the whole morning and we looked at this idea of of where God has called us and he said that we are all buildings. 
And it's a weird thought to say that God says that you're a building because we can understand the field. It's very, it feels very, very, very Bible-y uh, to be referred to to build. Um, but when we're referred to as a building, I think the question that God is trying to get us to, to look at inside of our own life is what do I contain? Really even beyond that is who do I contain? Who have I allowed into my life? Who am I walking through life with? Because a building houses people. This building uh, is serving its purpose right now. You are inside of it. You're filling seats. And because of that, uh, you are, you are, this is a building. And it's the same way. Um, what makes a building great is not the building itself. Uh, this building did not build itself. A builder built this building. Uh, it, it, you, I used to hear a, a mentor of mine, he used to often say, um, just because you, you park a car in a garage um, and then you go stand in the garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you're in the garage doesn't make you a car. You can stand inside the room. You can feel like what it's like to stand right there, but it doesn't make you a car just because you're in a garage. And the same way in our own lives, as we kind of look at this, we, just because we, we come to church and just because we, we attend church doesn't mean that we're actually building what God has called us. Just because we're in the building doesn't mean that we're actually building. Are you with me on that? And so what we begin to really dive into here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to read this text again, and I've got brand new stuff for you tonight that I believe is, is really kind of important. And tonight we're going to talk about the characteristics of a builder, the characteristics of a builder. We want to make this personal because I, 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 I leave frustrated when I don't know what was I supposed to take away. Uh, on a Sunday, when I go home at night, and, and maybe tonight you'll go home and you'll order yourself a pizza and you'll watch your DVR version of the Grammys and you'll sing to your favorite songs in your ugly sweatpants and you'll dance around your house and you'll have fun doing that. But on the ride home, I hope that you're thinking, so what am I leaving with? What, what, am, I, what am I leaving here with? That's why every one of the outreaches we did, we just did a skate outreach um, two weeks ago, and uh, I ordered Waffle House this afternoon uh, for food because Waffle House is great. And uh, two egg and cheese sandwiches, hash browns, triple covered, order of bacon well done every single time, same order. Uh, and because uh, egg and cheese sandwiches are amazing. And so I, as I was sitting there, I was waiting on my food, and so I went over to Interlight, and one of the guys who uh, helped Jason uh, with, with the whole event was in there, and he was just like, man, he said, People cannot stop coming up to me and talking about this, the competition that you guys put on. He said, I'm just telling you, he said, people who don't go to church, people who don't care about church, he said, I'm for the first time seeing that there's an actual opportunity or at least interest to find out more about who God is because of what you did. And, uh, and that's, all, like, that's worth its weight in gold. It's worth paying for 25 pizzas. It's worth giving away a GoPro if someone can come into the saving knowledge of Jesus. Can I get an amen? A GoPro is worth someone getting saved. Like, like we can't, you know, it's not that big a deal. So we had over 200 people come out to that, come out to that outreach, and, uh, and it was awesome. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to jump all the way down. Uh, I'm going to jump all the way down into verse 8. Verse 8, and we're going to kind of look at the, the second half of the, the, these verses that we didn't really get to dive down into today. In verse 8, it says, The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. It says, They work together for the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Verse 9, it says, For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field, and you are God's building. Verse 10, here's where you got to put your thinking cap on. It says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one we already have 
in Christ Jesus. Tonight, we're going to take a little bit of time, and we're going to look at these characteristics of a builder. What does it actually mean? What, when we say that we are building the kingdom of God, what, what does that actually look like? Um, we don't want to talk tonight about your purpose or your call, because I think we all think a lot often about our purposes and our calls. But really, what is the missing link to seeing that be just a dream inside of our head to actually something that's executed inside of our life? And I really believe what it is, is it's our characteristics and it's our nature. Uh, you, can, you can kind of begin to see this point because you look all the way back in, uh, in verse 8 where it says, The one who plants, the one who waters, both work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. That is a very, very, very important own. There are some things that we talked about two weeks ago that you have to own. There's just simply some things in our life that we have to begin to take responsibility and we own. We have to own our attitudes. We have to own our frustrations. We have to own our defeat, which is difficult. We have to own a lot of things in our life. We've had to own failure before. We've had to own victories before. Uh, you know what? The Bible says that a workman is worth his hire. Meaning that the gift that God has placed inside of you is something that has value and should be treasured and rewarded. Meaning that when you do something excellently, you should do it to the glory of God. And you should be confident and happy and excited about the way in which you did it. Why? Because it was excellent and it does honor the Lord. So the missing link here is us. The missing link tonight, I really believe, is who and what God has said about you. Who does God say that you are? Well, we know that. He says, he says that we're blessed. He says that we're more than overcomers. He says that we're, we're joint heirs with Christ. He says a lot of things about us. So then what should the characteristic and the nature of us be? So I'm going to give you a few things here, and, uh, and we're going to go through this, take a little time, and, uh, and dive, down, dive down into this. The first thing, the first characteristic of a builder is someone who builds people. A characteristic of a builder is a person who builds people builds people. They can put this next statement up here on, on, on the screen. Who I build, who I build is greater than what I build. Let me just let you let that settle down into your spirit for a minute. Who I build is greater than what I build. The goal for none of us is, is, is to build a big church. The goal is to build a healthy church because healthy things grow. So if we build a healthy church full of healthy people, then we as healthy people will reproduce that health. So what's most important is not who or what I build, it's who I build. So if we're going to be a builder in our own lives, we have to begin to look at that. We have to begin to kind of uh, wrap our brains around that and begin to ask ourselves the tough question, am I building anyone? And if I'm building someone, how am I building them? You can only reproduce who you are. That's the truth right there. You can only reproduce who you are. Because guess what? There's been some times that I've, I've had people in my life who I mentor and, and I disciple, and I see some things that I haven't liked about them, and then I realize that the Lord very quickly illuminates the fact that that's actually who I am. So it's, it's easy to get frustrated at what you see in somebody else, and it's easy to identify what's wrong in the life of someone else when really God wants to often spin the, 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 the light back on ourselves and say, hey, I'm letting you see this in them so that you can deal with it in you. It's easy to stay isolated, and sometimes it, it's, 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 it's um, desirable to stay isolated because sometimes we know in our heart 
that if I begin to get close to somebody and if I begin to pour my life into someone, I'm probably going to see some things about myself that I do not like. I'm probably going to see some things about myself that I, I'm, I'm just simply not comfortable with. One of the things that I, I did um, kind of as a New Year's resolution, and I'll be honest with you, I really, really, really did not want to do it, um, is I turned on my phone, I turned the read receipts on my text messages. Um, because, you know, I had a, I was notorious, like notorious for receiving a text. My ADD brain will look at the text. I will mentally respond to the text. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll do this. And then I set my phone down and I see a squirrel run outside the window. And so I'm like, hey, I should go over here. And then next thing I know, it's hours, weeks, days that go by uh, before I actually respond. I'm like, hey, don't hate me. And that's, that's a little difficult as a pastor because people might be having myself. You're like, oh my gosh, I need to call them in five minutes. And then you call them the next day and you're like, I almost killed myself last night. You're like, oh, I can't do this. Like, so it, there's, there's too many things at risk here. So uh, a New Year's resolution for myself was I, I turned on my read receipts. And it's been great because I feel like for like a 98% rating uh, of, of responding quickly. Why? Because I know that I'm accountable. I know that someone else can see what I have done. They can see that I've read this text message. And once they see that I've read this text message, then I have the responsibility to respond to that text message. And when we begin to build people, what happens is, is we understand that the valuable entity in the relationship is not the fruit that comes from it, but who that person becomes. The, the valuable thing is not what they're going to be able to give me one day. The value is in who they can become and who they can reach. I love the fact that the most benefit that you can be to me is to almost be no benefit to me at all. And what I mean by that is, is that for you to be a benefit to me, it's for you to be who God has called you to be, whether that benefits me or not. It's what love is. Valentine's Day is on Tuesday, folks. Guys, if you haven't got your Valentine's Day gift, you need to get it. I've already gotten mine. That's why I'm telling you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's none of my business. Uh, so... Uh, but, you know, I, I, Valentine's Day is on Tuesday. And really what true love is, is it's giving, expecting nothing to be returned to you. It's not saying I love you because you want I love you said back to you. We've all, we've all done that. Um, where you're like, I love you. And you're only saying it, you're only saying it because you want it to be said back. Like, even if it's to a parent. Like, you know, you're really single when it's like to your parents, I love you. And they don't say it and they just walk out of the room like, not even my parents love me. Like, <laughs> You know, let alone, you know, a female or whatever it might be. But true love, sacrificial love is giving, expecting nothing. Jesus died on the cross knowing that some would betray him. Jesus gave everything knowing that some would never accept the gift that he had. And so as we go into this and we look at this idea of building people and we understand that what I build is not nearly as important as who I build, no, what we understand is, is that I have to give whether or not I ever receive. What is my responsibility as a leader? It's the exact same thing that it is as yours. It's to love someone like Christ loved them, even if they never love you back. You know what the, one of the most difficult things about being a pastor is? It's making time for someone who you know is headed out the door. It, it, it's, it's, it's listening to someone. And counseling someone who you know has been saying negative things behind the scenes. It, it, it's having coffee and sitting down, knowing that you're right at the edge of the person just 
telling you who they are and actually getting to the issue and they pull back at the last minute. It's patience. It's endurance. It's belief. Look, I don't know who you have in your life that's speaking in your life and if, if, if I'm the only guy you got, I'm just playing. then good luck. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But I believe in you. I'm not going to go Tony Robbins on you here and say I got a, you know, for e- five easy installments of one ninety nine ninety nine, we've got a teaching set on how to be the best you in the lobby. But, but I believe that. I believe the greatest thing that you can be is you. And not just you from a fleshly standpoint, but you from a spiritual standpoint. Not just you from your feelings but you from your spirit. Like, who are you at a spirit level? Like, the spiritual side of you, who is that? It's probably a person who's full of boldness. It's probably a person who, who, who knows no fear. It's probably a person who, who has faith the size of a mountain. And I believe that if we're going to build the kingdom of God, we ourselves have to be people who build people. We have to be people who build people. I'll say it again, and then we'll leave it there. We'll go on to the next thing. But who I build is far more important than what I build. The second thing is this. The second characteristic of a person who builds is honor. Is they honor. A person who is building the kingdom of God is someone who is quick to honor the people around them. I know it's super practical, but really the words that come out of our mouth not only dictate and reveal who we are in our heart, but they shape the world around us. Like it's not just about like the words in your mouth are not just about revealing like the, the, the dusty, dark areas of your life. But really the words in, that come out of your mouth often are shaping the environment around you. If you think that you never get any opportunities, it's probably because you talk often about never getting any opportunities. If you think that people always overlook you, you probably talk often about people always overlooking you. If, if, you're, if you're critical in private, it, it probably always feels like you're in a negative environment. If you find yourself surrounded with people who never really feel connected, you yourself probably don't feel very connected. Because the words that come from our mouth create our life and the environment around us. And if we want to have a characteristic of a builder, we have to be a person who honors And honor is not about what can I say and what do I say to the pastor. Honor is what do I say and what can I say about the person sitting next to me. It's always easy to honor somebody who you feel like you can gain something from. But how do you speak of the person who can give you nothing? How do you speak of the person who is never going to elevate your ministry? Who's never going to take you to the nation's? They're not even going to take you to Waffle House, let alone the nations. Like, no, they're not going to do it. Why? But how do you honor them? Jesus spoke with tenderness and love, even about those who despised him. That's unbelievable. It's amazing that we literally get to serve a God who set the bar so high that we will always have something to climb towards. We'll always have something to move towards. And it's not that we're in a rat race that we can just never overcome and God's desire for us is to be stuck on a hamster wheel and you know, we're, just, we're in this never-ending cycle of being good enough. It's not about being good enough. 
It's about the fact that we serve the creator of the universe. I don't stand a chance to be like him. But through the grace that he gives me, and through the maturity that I'm willing to develop, through my own hard work, I can become more like him. Who God is is a person and a man who honors. I love this. They've got a little phrase that they're going to put up here for you on the, on the, on the screen. And as we begin to honor, we have to understand that honor is not something that happens temporarily. It's not something for a moment. It's not something for when the lights are up and the stage is set and, and, and the chairs are all out. And Pastor Curtis, man, it is, it is my honor to get to serve. Do you still feel the same way when you're in your car by yourself? You know, it was a long day. You know what? I don't even know why we set the whole stupid stage back up. Like, I just... Because it, if that's our response in private, then our public honor was just a facade. Our response has to be always honor, never envy. Always honor, never envy. And that's difficult. Why? Because the only thing more difficult than honoring someone who can give you nothing is honoring someone who has everything and is not going to give you nothing. Like, they're not going to give you anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, honoring the person who feels like they're getting everything that you want. Their relationship is perfect. Their husband is beautiful. Their wife is just amazing. Like, their, their, their job pays them, like, $100,000 a year. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were talking about salaries for the denomination that they're in. And I, because, my Lord, like, that, that is quite the padded salary there. And it, it's funny because, like, it's, it's, it was amazing. I was like... You guys got any openings? Like, 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 what do I need to do to sign on to be one of those? No, just joking. But it's funny because, like, it's easy because we can look at what everybody else has. It's, it's difficult. I'll speak just a little truth to you here. It's difficult as a pastor because you go home on a Sunday afternoon, and the days that you had great days, you're like, man, we're killing the game. The days you had bad days are the days that you want to go on social media the most, and they're the days that you should go on social media the least. Because the day that you struggled is the day that everybody else set records. And you're just like, cool, cool. I'm just going to go just you know, burn everything down that we have. Like, can somebody get the cases outside? We're just going to put some kerosene on it, and we're just going to let it go to town. Because it's, it's always those days. It's never your record-setting day that you go on social media, and everybody's having record-setting days. It's the day you have the record-setting day, you go on social media, everybody else is quiet. And so you're like, this is my lane today. And you're just blowing up, telling, showing pictures of all these different people, people weeping at the altar, like hands raised, like lives changed, like diversity. And like you're showing all these different things, right? But here's what happens. Here's what happens. Is honor is important on the days that it is the most difficult. It's tough, man. Sometimes I'll go home and I'll look at social media and you'll see some of these guys and they're adding like a 12th service. They have an 8, an 8.15, an 8.45, a 9, a 9.30, a 10, a 10.30, 10.45, a 10.15, an 11. They take a break for a couple of hours, come back at 4, a 4, a 5.30, a 6, a 6.30, a 7. And like, I'm like, my Lord, this is amazing. Like God is moving in your church. And I'm like, We've got a really, our, the one we have is pretty good. Like, you know, like I mean, uh, people are getting saved. So, like, you know, we had, like, today, for example, we had six first-time guests today as a church, which is awesome. And, uh, and so, it's cool, but you have these days, right? You have these days, too. I know it's just not just me, please. Like, you have these days where whatever your trigger is, my profession, here's the interesting thing. In the last 20 years, the, the, the landscape of my profession has changed. 
My profession has become very social media driven. You see a lot of, you see a lot of cool pastors. And, uh, and, and it can, be, it can feel like the lane is pretty narrow there. Where it's like, well, where's my spot in the midst of all of this? Well, your spot is, is the DNA and the identity of who you are. And honoring the Lord is about really not just what do we say about him, but what do we say about the people around us? What do we, what do we say when we get in our car? What do we say when we're sitting at dinner, we're sitting at breakfast, or we're sitting at lunch with a person who we know won't tell? That might be a spouse, might be a friend, might be a coworker, but the person who won't say anything. What are the words that we use then? The third thing is this. The third characteristic of a builder is that they're creative. Creative. And this doesn't mean that you have to be into art, okay? So before you're like, but I don't paint though. Like this is one of those creative churches. No, God was creative. The, the, the Bible talks about the ruah of God, um, which was the, 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 the breath that he had inside of his body that literally created the world. Creativity came from him. He opened his mouth and the world existed. He, he breathed the breath of life into you and you existed. Creativity is a part of God's nature. It's the passion inside of you. It might not be one of the arts, but it is your passion. Creativity, and this is kind of a little statement that you can take along with this, that creativity as a builder is critical. Creativity is critical. We do not have the opportunity to just sit on the sidelines and just keep doing the same thing the same way. We, we don't have that responsibility. Why? Because we are a part of a generation. And you might be older than me. So before you check out and say, well, I, I'm, I'm on the older end of this scale. No, we, are, we, we all have a responsibility, no matter your age inside of this room, to develop and to train the next generation. Here's what cannot happen inside of this church is the development of this generation be left to this generation. It can't happen. We need the older generations who will go before us to share our, their wisdom. But here's what can happen sometimes. is Sometimes the younger generation is resistant to that wisdom. And sometimes the older generation has given it so long they don't want to give it any longer. There has to be breakthrough. There has to be breakthrough. Because who have we been called to reach? Who, who have we been called to see impacted? I love the fact that we have babies and kids and people pregnant. And if you want to be pregnant get married, but then like, you know, just stay here in church and they're just, babies are just popping out of everywhere, uh, it seems like right now at Legacy House. And it's awesome. Why? Because it's the future of the church. You know what I used to tell youth pastors all the time? You know what I used to tell youth pastors all the time? Is that the greatest way to build a healthy youth ministry is to build a healthy middle school ministry. It's the future of your ministry. If I was going to build a healthy youth ministry, I'm going to build a killer youth middle school ministry, and those people, are, they're going to love me from sixth grade. They're with me all the way through. Yeah. When, you, when we would move to places, and the people who were juniors and seniors in high school, like already at that time, honestly, like I, I, we couldn't really do a lot because they were already on the way out. They had already experienced kind of a, a, a former regime, and, and, and so they, 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 they were kind of set in their ways. But where we would invest our time is with the sixth grader. Because if I'm here for four years, this sixth grader is going to be a sophomore or a freshman in high school, and they're going to be killing clubs, running 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 people at a club. And it's not because they were great then. It's because someone took the time to invest in them before they got to that spot. The greatest way to keep a church from dying is to keep a church young. 
Because guess what? As we balance each other out in our own God-given creativity, we can really truly find the spot that God has called us to be. People inside of the church world often get afraid of the word balance. Balance freaks people out because it feels very non-Holy Spirit-led. It feels very like a, uh, uh, like a formula. Like somebody somewhere at some conference created this scheme that they put on a screen and said, if we do this, this, and this, and this, we're going to find the even balance to the kingdom of God. We're going to reach those who've got money. We're going to reach those who don't. We're going to reach those who are young. We're going to reach those who are old. That's not what balance is. Balance is all of us being fully who God has called us to be. And as you are who God has called you to be, and I am who God has called me to be, iron will sharpen iron, and all of a sudden we'll find the true middle ground for this thing. I, um, I've talked to a lot of young guys who are going to be planting churches, and I've said, you know, I said, here's what's interesting about this, is that I've learned already a lot of things that I should not have done. Luckily, we've made, we haven't made any, like, big spending errors, but, like, I see things, I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, our lighting system, we bought three lighting systems before we bought one that actually worked. <laughs> Guess what? Someone told me from the jump this one would work. I was like, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to save money. I'm going to be a good steward. So I bought the cheapest one I could find. Guess what? It didn't work. I bought the one that was a little bit more expensive. Guess what? It still didn't work. Finally bought the one that the person told me to buy the first time, and it's worked without a charm. Oh, it worked like a charm. Because all of a sudden, like, I actually listened to the wisdom. I had convinced myself I was being a good steward. I was buying the $99 version. I thought, phew. I'm balling on a budget. You know what I mean? Like, I thought, like, we, we're going we're, we're gonna, gonna to do some stuff for $99. Guess what? That little bitty black box sitting back there on that table cost $499. About this big. That didn't make sense to me. <laughs> like, like, I was like, but this, no, I'm not doing that. But guess what? If I would have listened, I would have actually saved money. Because I bought a $99 thing, I bought a $199 thing, and then none of those works. I was like, I guess I'll buy the $499 thing. And then it worked. Guess what? We have to be creative because when we're creative, you are you and I am who I am, gentlemen. And in that, as we kind of conflict and we come together, there's nothing wrong with healthy confrontation, ladies and gentlemen. As we kind of come together, we can truly find where God has called us to be. Confrontation is not a bad thing if you are teachable. Confrontation is a bad thing when you are not teachable. That's the truth inside of a marriage is that you can have an argument if you're willing to be teachable. You're going to have disagreements. Ladies and gentlemen, you are going, some of you know far better than I, like you are going to have disagreements. And it's not about preventing disagreements necessarily as it is being teachable when the disagreements arise. It's that when the moment gets difficult, are you willing to be wrong? Or are you committed to your truth? There's talk show hosts who talk about how everyone has their own truth. What's well, my truth? Just because it's your truth doesn't make it truth. That might be your experience, but it's not truth. The truth is only in the word of God. The fourth thing that we see, the fourth characteristic of a builder is a person who is faithful. Faithful. Look down. Verse 10, it says, because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others, keyword, underline it, bubble heart with your little, you know, jail pen, whatever you have. Others, others, others. Everything we're building is for others. 
This is not a monument to me, nor is it a monument to you. We're building for others. Who is others? It's everyone except me. You are my other. I am myself. You are my other. And so when we all begin to operate with this mentality, he begins to lay this idea of this foundation. He said, now others are building on it. But whoever's building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay the foundation other than the one we already have of being faithful. Building is not about how you start, but it's about how you finish. It's not about how you start. Whatever you take what you're passionate about. Maybe you're passionate about music. Maybe you're passionate about uh, the arts. Maybe you're passionate about numbers. Uh, Whatever you're passionate about. Maybe you're whatever. Your thing is that you wake up for, like you, you get fired up. Maybe it's, maybe it's stuff like this, like ministering and serving to the homeless in our community. Maybe that's where you like, that you wakes you up every day. You're just like, this is, this is the area of people who no one is reaching. I love when people have that conversation with me. Someone will text me or someone will stop me after a service and says, look, if we could do this, we could reach people no one's reaching. We don't have to go to the 1040 window to reach somebody who's not being reached. If you don't know what the 1040 window is, it's an area on the side of the map where it is the most unreached people groups fall inside of this, this kind of 1040 window, this latitude, longitude kind of thing. Uh, it expands across a couple continents. And, and you kind of find this area of unreached people. Guess what? We have areas inside of our city that have unreached people. Save yourself a plane ticket and just step out. And often the step isn't far. The step is typically one step to the left or one step to the right because in the culture and society that we live in, God is often far from it. So what the Lord is looking for is he's looking for people who are faithful. He's looking for people who will say, God, I don't want to just start this thing, but I want to finish this thing. In ministry, you have to have a short-term memory. In life, you have to have a short-term memory. You have to just... Lay the defeats to the side, lay the challenges to the side, lay the rejections to the side, lay the brother we love you but you've been called elsewhere to the side and know that God is faithful to build the house. You might have experienced rejection at your job. You, maybe you should have gotten the promotion. Maybe you've experienced trouble in your marriage, you've experienced heartache and hardships and maybe your kids are crazy. (laughs) No matter what you've experienced, God isn't asking for you to have the answers. He's asking whether or not you'll be faithful. He's asking whether or not you'll look deep in your heart and say, God, I believe. I believe that what you've called me to, I believe that the characteristic that you desire for me to have It's the characteristic of a builder. You look at it in the Old Testament and the New, the people who built the kingdom of God were people who were faithful to the end. Paul was tarred. Like, the apostle Paul was was, was put in a vat of tar to torture him. And yet he never turned his back on the Lord. His body was so beaten and mangled and scarred by the torture he had experienced for the kingdom of God, this vision about Revelation. He had been cast there. It wasn't like he was like, you know, I'm going to go to 
I'm gonna go to Cozumel next week. They got a they got a, they got a carnival out of out of uh, out of Beirut, and I'm gonna take that around. And no, like it wasn't a cruise that he decided to go on. No, he was cast there. He was forced to that spot, but yet he was still willing to be faithful. He still believed that maybe even here God can speak to me. Maybe even in this moment God can speak to me. Here's what I want to encourage you with, kind of the statement out of this, is is that fear is an opportunity for faith. I don't know that I believe the idea of being fearless. It's kind of like the idea that we'll never be tempted, that once you overcome temptation, you'll never be tempted again. Paul said he had to crucify his flesh daily meaning that some days he had to lay down his fear. Some days he had to lay down his temptation. Some days he had to lay down his pride. Some days, whatever it was for that day, he had to crucify it that day. Fear is an opportunity for faith. So when we see fear, we shouldn't feel ashamed or afraid of whatever the situation is. We should really be able to identify it for what it is, for this is an opportunity for God to actually move. This is really, (laughs) this is a chance where God could actually show up. And I think that we put so much pressure on ourselves sometimes as believers to be this like perfect idea of what we see as this life way Christian who's walking around with like, you know, a daily dose of Jesus just pouring out of us wherever we go. But the truth of the matter is, is sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I'm frustrated. Sometimes I'm angry. Sometimes I, I, I'm disappointed. Sometimes I'm worrying, you know. All of those things are great. But whether or not we're afraid does not depict how close or far we are from God. It's the response to the fear that dictates our distance to the Lord. When you're close to the Lord, it's like, what are you going to do, Satan? I'm like, what are you going to do? Not today. Like, you know, like, it's like, you're not afraid. Because you're in close proximity to him. I want, like, when, when I am holding my girls, I want them to not be afraid. I want them to know that they're safe. I want them to know that I will rip this shirt off and go to town if someone comes at my daughter's. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's my first move, if you didn't know. Uh, <laughs> just, let's just clarify that. You're like, that's kind of weird. But my first move is always in a fight to rip my shirt off. It's sheer intimidation factor is really what it is. Set, set, like, I want there to, there, there, there to be nothing hidden between us. This is where we're laying it on the line. Anyways, that's true. That's the dead truth of what I did when I was a kid. I, just, I think I saw the Mighty Ducks. You know what I mean? Like, instead of ripping their jersey off, I just ripped mine off because I felt like it would save us. I want my... And, uh, and so, uh, but it's funny, but like, my, it's the truth though. I, I want my daughters to know that when they're holding me, I will kill someone for you. We've got a lot of cops who serve inside of the church. They can help me hide the body. Like, that's what, I'm just joking. Uh, but it's the truth. I want, someone, I want my daughters to know that they're safe. And they will when they're in proximity, just in the same way that your kids do. When they get hurt, what do they do? They run to you, not from you. Because they know that there is protection there. They know that you will be faithful to protect them. And so we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility not to always get it right, but to remain close. 
You're not going to always get it right. And that should be a great relief and weight off of your shoulders. But the closer we stay to the Lord, then when things begin to hit the fan, we can identify more quickly what's actually happening around us. We can actually see, you know what, the closer I am, the more I am like him, the nearer he is to me. But often we can find ourselves like Peter where we're a long ways away. We're sitting over by a campfire. We begin to be questioned about our relationship and we instantly begin to deny him because we've allowed distance to separate us. Our fear has overwhelmed us. But what if they identify me as one of his? What, what? And we would rather sacrifice things on the altar of our identity rather than to be faithful to navigate the trial, to ride out the storm, to believe that, like Jesus was with his disciples, that he is in the boat. The Bible says that you'll never face anything that you can't overcome. You'll never face any temptation. You'll never face any trial or storm, any heartache, any heartbreak. Look, don't let this be a moment like this week for you. Relationships are the most valuable thing you have in your life. Sometimes they can be the most painful thing that you have in your life. And sometimes a week like this can highlight the things that you've lost, not the things that you have. I want to encourage you today as your pastor, as a person who loves you, that whatever you've walked through doesn't define you. Whatever you've lost, you have the ability to leave behind. You might never forget it, but forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness is about releasing. It's about opening my hands and saying, Lord, I, I know I messed some things up. There's some things I would change if I could. There's some things that hurt and cost me a lot. But Lord, you can take them. I will lay them down at your feet. I love the fact that fear is an opportunity for faith. I love the fact that bad reports are an opportunity for God to show who he is. A lack is just a setup for God to bring in the surplus. Fill your cup to a moment of loss is really, man, you are blessed. You're blessed. Your cup is full. You, you have been strengthened. There's been tools that have put in your hand. Talked about that this morning. There might be some messes that you have to clean up. Listen to the podcast. There might be some messes that you have to clean up. But it's not about the mess, it's about do you have, the, has God placed the tool in your hand? Has he given you the ability? And the answer is yes. The Bible says that as he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you. He knew you. He knew everything you'd face. He knew everything you'd walk through. He knew you. I want to pray for you tonight as we close and the band's going to come back. And, but just before we do, I want you to go into this week knowing who and what God has called you to be. My greatest responsibility as a pastor is to equip you for the ministry. It's not to build mine, but it's to equip yours. Look, the more that we build people, I mean, I, Bethany said this, we were sitting in the back and uh, we were going over our, our points tonight. And um, she said, if you build people, you don't have to build your platform. And it's really the truth. If we build people, 
if we build God's house, then we don't have to worry about building our own. I don't have to worry about, am I going to get blessed? I don't have to worry about, when's God going to come through for me? If I'm building his thing, and I'm building his people, then he can make sure he will... It is. It's, it's his nature. It's his heart. You're taking care of what's valuable to him, and you are what is valuable to him. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. You can find more info and resources from Legacy House on our website, www.legacyhouse.life, or by following us on social media under the handle at LegacyHouseFL. Don't miss next week's podcast, From Our House to Yours.